Welcome into another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series with the Arizona Diamondbacks today. And to do that, we are joined by Nick Picoro, the Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic and a longtime correspondent for us here at BA. Nick has written the Diamondbacks chapter of the Prospect Handbook for three, four, five years now. Nick, how long has it been? Yeah, something like that. Four or five, I would think. I, I can't remember. So thanks for having me back on the podcast, Kyle. Yeah, of course. Always good to talk to you, a uh, fellow Sun Devil and someone I've known. Uh, Nick actually came and spoke to us when I was a student journalist at the State Press. Nick was uh, a hardened veteran teaching us uh, the ropes. So uh, it's kind of fun how things have come full circle 10 years later. <laughs> You're making me feel old. <laughs> Nick, the Diamondbacks obviously had a very, very difficult season at the big league level last year. They went 52-110, and 110, and this wasn't a team like the Orioles who was very, very clearly setting up to tank from opening day. This is more of a situation where just everything went wrong in terms of injuries, underperformance, a lot of players playing out of position. It was just an ugly season all around. On the farm system side of things, there were some positive developments. Corbin Carroll, their top prospect, got hurt, but we did see Alec Thomas get up to AAA and put up a, a very, very big season. A trio of pitching prospects, Ryan Nelson, Dre Jamison, and Brandon Fott, got up to AA and had really good years. And on the whole, the farm system really just kind of did take a step forward. Where is this organization now when you kind of look at the big picture of everything? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because I mean I kind of explored that a little bit in the in the essay that I wrote in the handbook. Just it, it felt like early on like nothing was going right, and and this this was just going to be a disaster of a season on so many levels. But then you looked up and you kind of saw the way a lot of guys finished, and it and it felt a little bit more promising. I mean, which is which is kind of amazing to say for a team that lost 110 games, right? Um, but yeah, I I think. I, I think they're in an okay spot. Um, I, I think that we'll know a little bit more probably by the end of this year when we see how, uh, when we see a number of things. But I, I think Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler's progressions are going to be probably the most interesting because I think if there's a, if there's a criticism about this system, um, it's how much you know, really high ceiling talent there is um, on the position player side especially. Um, that's kind of been the knock on Dalton Barsho and Alec Thomas and, and some of these other, you know, Geraldo Perdomo um, is just, you know, how, how, who are the guys that they're, you know, these, these six, seven, eight win type players that they're going to be able to build around. Do they have those kinds of guys? Maybe we'll get a sense as the year goes along, whether those guys are that. Um, and then from, from another perspective, I, I think it's just going to be interesting to see how some of those pitchers, because I assume that, you know, you know, those, those arms that you mentioned, some of them are going to reach the big leagues this year. Um, I, I think Alec Thomas is going to reach the big leagues this year. Uh, Perdomo did, and it's probably going to get a little bit more uh, of a look, I would guess at some point. Um, so I think it's going to be inter interesting to see how some of these guys start to, to acclimate um, and, you know, just whether things continue to sort of, remain encouraging from a developmental standpoint because that's really the future of this franchise that it's not happening at the big league level right now and they're going to need all of these young guys well not all of them you know how it works they're going to they're going to need a, a group of them to step up and contribute 
Yeah, absolutely. We did see some promising things last year, as you mentioned. Paven Smith came up and, and had a solid rookie year. Geraldo Perdomo really got hot the last couple months of the season after going down and uh, reworking his swing a little bit. In terms of this farm system, you mentioned the high ceiling position player prospects. Corbin Carroll is the number one prospect in this system. He only played in seven games last year at High Hillsborough before having a season-ending shoulder injury that required surgery. When you kind of assess the system, what ultimately put Corbin Carroll still number one, just given he has this major injury, we have to see how he comes back. And as talented as he is, we are talking about seven games of full season ball in his career. Uh, yeah, I, it was a difficult decision. Um, I, I, I think that really when you when you looked at the guys that were probably in the mix for the number one spot, it, to me it really came down to Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler, mainly because of upside. Um, they both are, uh, you know, up the middle, you know, premium position talents. Um, and as it turns out, Lawler was going to be coming off of a surgery as well. Uh, not as significant of a, of a shoulder injury, but, you know, he needed to, to have a procedure done as well. Um, so we're kind of having to look at, at two guys in similar spots. One guy had gone to the alt site in 2020 and really lit it up by all accounts. Um, one guy had a, a smaller, you know, a, bigger, I should say, a bigger taste, albeit still small, of, of professional ball. Um, so I think it was just, there's just a little bit more certainty with Corbin Carroll. He's older, a little bit more advanced. Um, it, it was it was still not a perfect situation when you're, when you're trying to put these lists together. You know, and Alec Thomas, I think, was another guy that, that did warrant some consideration just coming off the year he had. I think, like, I think, you know, you still have a little bit more uncertainty in terms of the ceiling. You, you hear that a lot with, with certain evaluators. Um, you know, he, he put up massive numbers at a couple of places that are very hitter friendly. It, it's, it's worth keeping in mind, not trying to diminish what he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think with, with Corbin Carroll, there's just so many people that saw him um, a couple of years ago and saw him at the beginning of, of spring last year before the injury were so impressed with him. Uh, and so impressed with his development and his upside at such a young age um, that I wasn't going to knock him down. And, you know, I, I think that the kind of the kind of makeup that he has, those are the kind of guys that you bet on being able to overcome those sorts of injuries as well. Yeah, I mean, he's been tremendously talented for many, many years. A lot of people have thought very highly of him dating back to his high school days. And I think for me, there's no question from the outside looking in that talent-wise, this is the best player of the system. Just so much comes down to how he recovers from this shoulder surgery and if he is the same player. What have you heard in terms of his rehab and just kind of where he is in that progression? He said uh, at the beginning of minor league camp last month that uh, he's he's crushing balls again. Um, I, I forget exactly what he said, but I think he said the second batted ball that he had off of a off a pitcher in like a live BP setting was a hundred something off the bat. Um, so I mean, he he has some evidence that it's coming off the bat the same way. Of course, we, we you know we don't know what that means when until you, he's you know swinging dozens of times a day and taking multiple at bats a day for four or five months straight. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Uh, he's feeling good. And so far the results are encouraging. So that's all you can ask for at this point. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Jordan Lawler. That's another big, big piece of this farm system in terms of how this farm system got better last year. A lot of people felt he was one of the top two or three talents in the draft. The Diamondbacks got him at the number six overall pick. And as you mentioned, he had a shoulder injury, but he certainly raises the potential ceiling of the position player group in this farm system. I, I want to dial in on Alec Thomas, though, because I thought what you said was very interesting how he put up huge numbers last year. He has draft pedigree. There's a lot of things to like there, but we have to keep in mind Amarillo and Reno are two of the most hitter-friendly parks in the nation. I remember talking to some people when Amarillo opened. They talked about it's Lancaster Central. I mean, balls just fly out of there. And then Reno, we know, is just a hitter's paradise as well. So there's a sense this is a good player, but the power numbers might have been a little bit of a mirage. There does seem to be a general belief there, more of a slash and dash athletic run around the bases as fast as he can type, as opposed to a true power threat. What are the reviews of Alec Thomas after the year he had, taking into account the athleticism, the skill set, the environments he was in? It feels like you're right. You hear people say, oh, this is a top 30 prospect. Others say, you know, he probably belongs more in the, in the 60 to 75 overall range. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I can add an awful lot to what you were hearing because I, I heard a lot of the same things in terms of, you know, just maintaining a little bit of skepticism about the, the pure power numbers based on the environments. Um, I, I think that there are some concerns from evaluators as to whether he's going to be able to hit left-handed pitching at the big league level. Um, I, you know, there's a little bit uh, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot going on with the swing. He, you know, he goes up there taking some big hacks. Um, you know, that's always been a question of whether he's going to need to tone that down a little bit when he, when he faces more advanced pitching. Um, and then, you know, I, I think that, uh, I, I, look, I, I, I think, I think he's, he, he's really done. I mean, there, there, there's not much to, to nitpick about what he's done so far as a professional, you know, I mean, he's, he's put up numbers at every level. Um, I, I, I guess that, you know, there was one thing the Dimebacks had wanted to see a little bit more of, and, and they say they did, and that was, uh, you know, a little bit more patience, a little bit ability, of an ability to, to hone in and, and not be quite as aggressive early in at-bats. And, you know, they say that they saw that last year, and that, that is a question of whether that could, is another thing that could be exploited. But, I mean, this is a guy that throughout his career so far, I mean, and, and again, like the reviews from the alt site, which we don't really know, for sure, but like everybody said, he performed very well. Um, but this is a guy that's that's hit basically at every level. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand the skepticism um, and the need to see him do it, uh, especially given the size profile that we're talking about. Um, but look, I mean, he's performed everywhere he's gone so far. I think it's important to note this is a good player. It's a matter of what degree of good. Everyone thinks he's a top 100 prospect. It's just a matter of is he more that above average everyday player or is he an all-star? And, and I think either way, the Diamondbacks are getting a good player. Nick, you mentioned these three as kind of the clear-cut top three. Peralta Perdomo and Blake Walston checked in at numbers four and five. Were they clear-cut the, the next two best prospects in the system or how many guys were kind of in the mix here? Um, yeah, I think, I think Perdomo was, was actually a guy that, uh, crazy, crazy enough, you know, coming off the numbers that he had crazy as it may sound to say, I, I kind of feel better about Perdomo right now than I, than I did probably at any other point in his career. Um, and I was tempted to, to move him. I, I, I was thinking a little bit about Perdomo versus Thomas almost felt like it would just be like a slap in the face to Thomas for a guy that performs the way that he performed last year and has throughout his career to have a guy that hit, you know, 150 for the first few months of the double A season above him. But I mean, 
I don't know. It, it was really interesting seeing what Perdomo did those last couple months of the season. I think it was as much you, you mentioned. You mentioned retooling his swing. I think it was as much of a of a head clearing type of scenario when they sent him back to Salt River in the middle of the summer, kind of pushed pause on his season. And I think they just kind of got through to him that like, hey man, you're strong. I mean, go up there looking to crush baseballs. You you can do it. We've seen you do it. You need this. You need to, to adopt this approach that and, and understand and have this level of confidence in your abilities. And I, I mean, it was it was eye opening to see what he did in the big leagues the last you know ten days of the season. And I know you don't want to take too much, you know, uh, out of September performance. I, I I understand that, but seeing him hit a ball at least every at least one ball a game at hundred miles an hour for 10 days straight. I, I, you know, you'd have to check the, the data on that for sure, but I'm pretty sure that was the case when he was up in the big leagues late in the season. It was, it was pretty impressive. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I think we've always thought with Perdomo that it's a surefire shortstop with on-base ability and a slug that starts with the three. Um, but if you've suddenly got those things and, and the slug that starts with the four, um, I mean, it might be it might be more of an all star than just a solid average regular. So that's a, that's become a really interesting player in my mind. I, I did I did have thoughts about moving him up, but but decided to settle on on four just just kind of as a nod to uh, Thomas's body of work. Yeah, Perdomo. Once he came back from that swing work he did with Diamondbacks instructors in August, hit three twenty nine, four fifteen, five twenty seven across Double AA, A, Triple A in the majors. And as you mentioned, uh, Mike Hazen at the GM meetings talked about him hitting a ball off the wall in center field in San Francisco, which is certainly not an easy thing to do. And you're right; he's always had the ability to control the strike zone, play defense, and impact the bat. Was the question? If that's now there, this is definitely a potential all star. And you mentioned Blake Walston kind of being at the top of this pitching group. We talked about Nelson Jamison and Fop, but ultimately Walston still got the nod as the best pitching prospect in the organization. What pushed him ahead, especially given he's behind the other guys developmentally in terms of the levels he's pitched at? <laughs> yeah, that was a really hard one for me. I <laughs> I don't remember how much you and I talked during that process a of, lot. <laughs> of, of ranking the top 10 of those guys. But yeah, I, I had... Uh, if you would have asked me at various points, I would have had Nelson first. I, I may have had fought second. Um, I might've had Walston fourth out of that group. Um, you know, then you get off the phone with somebody that, that thinks that Dre Jamison is just an absolute stud and you're tempted to, to run him up. Um, I, I just think that I wound up settling on kind of the scouting community consensus that Blake Walson has everything you want out of a, a starting pitching prospect. There's power, there's finesse. He's left-handed. He's young. He's still developing. Um, you know, guys that think that I, I remember a, an evaluator whose, whose um, opinion I, I, I greatly respect dropping a Cliff Lee type of comp on him. Um, so I, I think I, I kind of just ended up erring on the side of, of the scouting community People at the Diamondbacks were saying, like, you know what? Other teams don't even ask us about Walston anymore because they just know. They know we're not moving Blake Walston. You know, they ask us about the other guys. So that, that kind of gave me a sense of, like, okay, this is what the industry thinks of Walston. Even if the performance isn't there yet, uh, everyone believes that it, that it is going to get there. So that's kind of the way I, I went there. Um, and then, I mean, I guess, like, 
uh, you know, unpacking the next three was, was really tricky. Um, I, I think I landed with Fott as the, as the fourth of that group um, solely because of, of, of ceiling. Uh, I, I think a lot of people felt that, you know, people, people saw him in double A last year and were like, man, this guy could pitch in the big leagues today. Um, but I, I didn't get too many reports of, of people going nuts about, you know, where he's going to slot in in the rotation. Um, I think it's a little bit more uh, of a 4-5 of a type of starter for, for a lot of people, whereas you can make arguments for Nelson and Jameson, given the explosiveness of the stuff, that there's a chance they're pushing, so they're pushing toward the top and probably comfortably in the middle if things work out for them. Um, you know, and that's not to say that that thought couldn't have that happen. Um, you know, pe- people aren't, you know, selling him short and, and he had a, a really good year, showed really good stuff through a ton of strikes and really just showed a lot of like, uh, just a lot, a lot of moxie, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know if you have the game logs in front of you, but late in the season, you know, pitching in double a, like, like you mentioned, a, a really terrible place to pitch. Fott gave up something like 10 home runs over his final four starts, which is not a good thing. You'd see a lot of pitchers obviously start to get a little nibbly, a little afraid of challenging hitters. I think he walked two guys in that stretch. And that, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that, that, tells, that tells you something about his mentality and his, his confidence. That, that was an impressive uh, you know, finish despite the struggles in my mind. Um, you know, and I've, I've heard really good things about him already this spring, just that he showed up looking like his, he's kind of transformed his body a little bit, just looking, looking the part a little bit more. So there's a lot to like about Brandon Fott, even though I, I, I didn't have him at the, at the top of that group. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point you make about Fod. I had missed that. You're right. He gave up 11 home runs his final three starts. He gave up four home runs in a game against Tulsa and five home runs the next start against Frisco, both home starts in Amarillo, where, again, the ball just flies. And he still gutted his way and got through five innings, giving up four homers in a game and five homers in a game, and he still gave his team five innings. That does speak to his moxie. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, guys, guys talk about him being advanced beyond his years, which is – which, you know, I mean, coming from a small school, a late draft pick, I mean, it, it's possible he ends up being the best, the best pitcher that they drafted out of that class. And they also drafted, uh, you know, Bryce Jarvis and Slade Ciccone, uh in 2020. So it'll be interesting to see how it, trans- how it, how it all trans- uh, turns out. All right, Nick, this is a, a farm system that has some depth, too. Uh, this is the number 10 farm system in the BA organization talent rankings, and, and a lot of that is the depth. I want to dive in with you on some of the guys outside of the top 10. First, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back with Nick Picoro breaking down the Arizona Diamondbacks farm system. Nick, uh, we kind of ran through the top 10, a lot of really good pitchers, some really interest, intriguing high upside young position players, and some guys like Alec Thomas and Geraldo Perdomo who took steps forward last year. Uh, it's a pretty strong top 10, uh, but there are some guys outside the top 10 who you know hold some promise as well, guys for high draft picks like Bryce Jarvis and Ryan Bliss. Uh, some guys who kind of broke out a little bit last year. I think of a guy like a Dominic Canzone. Uh, there is kind of an interesting mix of youth and, and, and upper level talent here beyond just the top 10 prospects in the system. Who would you kind of say are some of the guys you're keeping an eye on outside the top 10 that, that could maybe make a jump and ultimately end up contributing to the D-backs? Yeah, well, I mean, Christian Robinson obviously is, is probably the biggest name guy that, that is outside the top 10, and, and it's, uh, his, his situation still seems to be in, in flux. I think they're still waiting to see what happens with, you know, as, as he sorts through the, the legal ramifications uh, of his incident um, from a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say there. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's been two years of, of lost development. It was a guy that needed to play. Um, I, I, there's just so much uncertainty there. Um, but obviously it might, it might be the, the, you know, loudest skill set of anybody in the organization. So, uh, if he can get back on the field, um, you know, you, you want to hope that it can all come back together. Um, and look, I mean, we've seen guys in, over over the years missed significant developmental time and josh hamilton is a guy that comes to mind and and you know ended up having a nice big league career so it can be done um ryan bliss is really interesting to me um i i think he was a guy that was drafted with a lot of concerns about his ability to to stick at shortstop um he went out in his debut and and played really well at shortstop by all accounts um and and people were were really impressed uh, and, and they think that, you know, the arm is light, but they, they feel like he can make up for it in, in a, a number of ways. And, you know, they kind of wonder if, if, uh, you know, look, we're, we're adding miles per hour to, to pitchers fastballs, you know, across the game. Why, why can't we work to do the same for, you know, an infielder's arm and they're hoping maybe they can add a half a grade or a grade to his, to his arm over the course of the next couple of years. Um, and make shortstop a little bit uh, of, a, of an easier lift, I guess, for him in a way. He does seem to make up for it, according to, to people that have seen him with with his you know quick transition. Just he, he's one of those guys with a really good a really good clock and really good actions. Um, and he hits. Uh, he he has a knack for barreling balls, um, and uh, you know added some power to his game last year at the college level. So. I, I, he kind of fits that Diamondbacks profile from the last few years because he is he is undersized, um, but hits more than you would expect, right? Kind of the Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Dalton Varsho group. Um, so uh, 
I, I, I guess those are guys that, that are interesting to me. Obviously, Jarvis and Chaconi, I think, are maybe the highest guys on the list outside of the top 10 on, on the way I lined them up. Um, and you know, Jarvis, Jarvis has a lot of, a lot to like, I mean, he's, he's got all the components you, you want to see out of a big league starting pitcher. Um, it just sounded to me like, like he just needs experience, um, that there's, there's just some things he's going to need to to learn to do. Um, and you know, just ability to kind of understand how to, best utilize his his weapons um that was the sense i got from from talking to a lot of you know people in pd and, and evaluators that I don't see any reason why this guy couldn't develop into a, a mid-level starting pitcher um at some point it's just it just might take a little bit of time um and then you know chaconi's interesting um because you know because of what we saw in 2020 um it was just so explosive and so impressive um, it wasn't that last year, but he had some injury issues and he was getting through his first full pro season. So this will be a good, a good indicator. I think, you know, whether he's able to, um, you know, kind of tap into that high octane stuff that he had in 2021 or whether he's going to be a little bit of a, of a different character, um, you know, uh, going forward, you know, if, if the stuff doesn't play up, maybe it's a back end starter or, or maybe it'll be able to play up in shorter bursts and it's, and it's more of a bullpen arm. I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but you know, these guys don't want to, don't want to sell it short because what they saw in 2020 at the alt site um, and then it instructs that year was, you know, wipe out dominant stuff that, that they thought could play at the top of a rotation. So um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are probably the guys that stand out the most for me. I want to ask about Dominic Canzone. He was not a high-profile prospect coming into the year, an eighth-round pick out of Ohio State, but had really one of the, the bigger breakouts of any player in the D-back system, had an early season injury, missed time, still got up to double-A and, and put up some big numbers. And while, again, we've talked about Amarillo's a hitter's paradise, even in that context, he led the team in most offensive numbers after he joined. So even in the context of everyone hitting 300, he was the best of them. Then he went to the fall league, and that was the first time I saw him and really the first time I'd had any real exposure to him. And he was very, very, very impressive, turning around 95-plus mile-an-hour fastballs, hard, a lot of exit velocities in the 109-110 range, home runs, doubles. I mean, just kept hitting everything. What do the Diamondbacks have here? Well, there are people in the organization that uh, think that the bat is as projectable as, as anybody's um, in, in the system, which is really saying something. Um, they, uh, they look at the, at the progression that he made last year and, uh, and are really impressed. Uh, apparently, if you, if you really dig in on the, on the data um, from, from high A and double A, um, you know, his, his ability to, to work counts and, and swing at the right pitches got significantly better over time at both of those levels following a little bit of an adjustment period. Um, and, you know, like you said, he, he put on a pretty good show there in the fall league as well uh, against pretty advanced competition. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, it's, uh, it's probably a, a a left fielder. I mean, he doesn't really throw super well. He had been working out at first base. So that's another possibility. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty clearly going to have to be a, a bat first type of player. Um, but you know, I mean, so, you know, based on what we saw last year, um, the, that bat might be enough to carry him. 
Yeah, I mean, that bat certainly caught my eye in the fall league. Again, just as a guy I didn't have a lot of exposure to and seeing it myself definitely made you take notice pretty, pretty much right away. So he's certainly kind of a personal guy I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Nick, there's one other guy in the system who is very, very famous, uh, and that is Seth Beer, dating back to his college days at Clemson uh, because of his name, because of just kind of his, his overall game. He's had a little bit of a, of a following. The fact that DH has now permanently come to the National League how much does that alter his his future with this organization? Just because, just to be frank, he's always hit. He's always been a bottom-of-the-scale defender. But now that the DH is in the National League, I mean, does he have a path now to everyday playing time? Yeah, I think he absolutely does. And, and I, I think it's it's an enormous boon for him. You know, I don't I don't think he had that path before. I, especially with Torrey Lovello as the manager. I mean, it's a guy who who really values defense and just isn't really willing to, to, to stomach anybody that's not at least an, an average to probably a tick above average defender. He has, he just doesn't seem to have a, have a whole lot of patience for that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think the questions with, with beer um, are just whether he is more of a, a good hitter or if he is really a great hitter, you know, if it's, if it's more like a, you know, is, is he, is he Brett Wallace or is he Lance Berkman? You know, like I, I, I don't know. There's some people that, that really love the, the bat and there's some evaluators, probably more evaluators that are a little bit like, eh, I don't know if the impact is really going to be there. Um, but look, I mean, I, he, he strikes me as the kind of guy that, that just has a knack for hitting. Um, he just, he just seems like he knows how to handle a lot of pitches, knows how to use the whole field. He's, he's weird because he's, he's really unathletic. It seems in a lot of ways, uh, you know, you, you watch him in the field or, or whatever running. Um, he also was once like a world-class caliber swimmer before he gave that up to pursue baseball and you see him in the box and it's just, he, it just looks easy. You know, it just looks, it, it looks athletic. It looks fluid. It, it looks pretty. Um, so I, I think he, I, I, I don't know. I'm interested. I'm, I'm curious to see if, if he can really, if he can hit enough. Um, Cause like, you know, he's just, he's going to have to hit a ton, right? That's just, that's just the way it works. Um, he doesn't have anything else to really fall back on. Uh, but, uh, but you know, like we've talked about with a bunch of guys, he's, he's hit at every level. He's done it. Um, 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 I, I, I think that given the state of the organization given the kind of roster that they have, um, I would think he's going to get, you know, a few hundred plate appearances at the big league level this year to show what he's got. He uh, hurt himself uh, with a, a season ending shoulder injury, his first defensive inning in the field last year. So uh, obviously that was not a great start, but you're right. As long as he's healthy, I think it's reasonable to expect him to get a decent number of at bats and, and, you know, his precedent has, has been that he will produce. So we'll see what he's able to do. Nick, when you kind of look at this, farm system as a whole what would you say that the strengths and weaknesses are right now we've talked about they have a lot of arms they have a lot of guys with track records of hitting this is a top 10 farm system overall for us at BA what are some things that maybe need to happen in 2022 to enhance the franchise's outlook even more yeah I guess it's probably it's kind of swung over the last couple of years from being position player heavy to, to probably being a little pitcher a little more pitcher heavy um, so I, th- I think it would be nice for them to, to see some progress from some of these younger position players that they have, uh, whether it's a guy like Bliss or um, Lawler, obviously. 
Uh, and then, you know, going a little bit further down, they've got some, some young Latin prospects, Jose Fernandez, Manuel Pena, um, that are position players, uh, that it would be, that it would be nice to see some progress from, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of amazed we've gone this whole, this whole way without talking about Davis and De Los Santos, um, who is one of the more interesting bats that they have in the system, a guy who, who popped up in his, in his, you know, pro debut uh made it all the way to, to low a um and really held his own and you know i w- watched him a little bit this spring taking ground balls working out over at third base it doesn't look that bad to me i, I mean i don't know how the body's gonna age um it's a he's a big kid he really wants to, to play at third base he 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 feels strongly about that um you know i hear really good things about his about his work ethic and his and his aptitude um, so, you know, it sounds like he's, he's going to do everything he can to stay at the position and, and it looks like the hands and, and arm work. Okay. It, you know, it's a, it's a big boy, it's a big body. Um, so we'll see how that develops, but you know, the carrying tool is, is the bat and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty massive, um, power that, that he puts, he puts on a, a fun, uh, BP. Um, it is, it is a lot of fun to watch. So, I mean, I, I think probably it would, it would, from the Diamondbacks' perspective, they would probably like to see um, a little bit of development from their position player group. Um, A.J. Vukovic is another name. We talk about De Los Santos. It's grande, grande, grande power. And uh, that Visalia team, you mentioned the position player prospects, their low-way Visalia affiliate with Jordan Lawler and Davison De Los Santos could be very exciting and next year. I know I'm certainly looking forward to seeing it. Nick, as we wrap up here, the big picture question is how long until the Diamondbacks get back to contention? 110 loss season, this farm system. I mean, how close or far is this club from getting back to contending? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wish I had a really good answer for you. Um, I, I, I hate to, to be like, you know, kicking, kicking the can down the road, but like, I, I think we'll just have a better idea at the end of this year. Uh, Dalton Varsho had a really exciting last couple of months of the season. So did Geraldo Perdomo. Um, you know, Ala Thomas had a great minor league season. Uh, you know, Corbin Carroll hopefully is healthy. Um, you know, if that's the base that you're building around, and not to mention the kind of nice little seemingly complimentary pieces that they have um, around them, like a, like a Josh Rojas or, or Paven Smith or Seth Beer. Maybe those guys become more than that. I mean, it's not an organization that's totally devoid of, of talent, right? I mean, there's, there's guys that you could look at and, and it's not that hard to envision an everyday group forming around those those players and and, you know Carson Kelly is a is is possibly a nice piece to build around at the major league level I'm sure I'm leaving off some other names um and then you've got they're starting to to it seems like they're starting to accumulate the the depth in in interesting arms that you need to have a few of them pop up to to really emerge as as uh as you know reliable options in a in a rotation at the back of the bullpen so you know, are all of Walson and Jamison and Nelson fought um, Jarvis, Chaconi, um, who, who am I forgetting? I mean, are all of these guys going to, to turn into great big league pitchers? No, but are a couple of them probably. And then you start going further down. There's, there's more names and it, it, it seems like the, the pieces are, are starting to, to come into view. Um, but I don't know how close or how realistic it is to expect it in the next couple of years. Um, but 
I don't know. Sometimes these teams that have talent, that have young talent, come a lot faster than you would have expected. We'll see what happens. Again, uh, you know, Zach Gallon, Luke Weaver, and Taylor Widener, you know, showed some good things last year in the rotation, Widener uh, being kind of a surprise. So we'll see what they're able to put together. But in any case, it's an interesting system and an interesting organization to follow these next couple of years. Nick, thank you so much for joining us and providing your insight as always. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Nick Picoro, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.